Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a privilege, it's a joy to be with you here this morning, and the more I thought about it, how important is it for us to be here together this morning as God's people, as loved children of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the family of God that is gathered here at St. John's. There's a whole lot that's going on in the world right now, isn't there, from the politics of the election and the inauguration. I listened to President Trump's speech on Friday, and I I heard a lot of reactions to it, pro and con. Three million people marched yesterday, and I heard a lot of reaction to it, pro and con. Today is January 22nd. 44 years ago today, Roe versus Wade was decided. There's been a lot of reaction to that decision. There's a whole lot going on out there in the world. We could keep going. There's a whole lot going on in our church. Celebrate Recovery celebrated five years of ministry last night, five years of lives being radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, people finding answers to the hurts, habits, and hang-ups in their life in Jesus and in his people. I'm telling you, last night, the testimonies and the worship were so powerful, I felt like I was in heaven worshiping God. It was awesome. It was powerful. This week is National Lutheran Schools Week. You can see right here in that little pamphlet that you got, and you saw all our teachers stand up, 250,000 people across, students throughout the world, 823 of them here on our campus. We're going to baptize 20 of our school kids and their parents this Wednesday, and the number keeps growing. Awesome. It's going to be one of the awesomest days of the year. We've got five more baptisms going on in the sanctuary. We've got Layton's baptism this morning. God is doing a lot of great things through our church, and the list goes on and on. There's a lot of things going on out there in the world. There's a lot of stuff going on in our church. There's a lot of stuff going on in our hearts, in our lives, in our community here. And in the midst of all that, I was kind of drawn toward the idea that I think we have a lot to be thankful for. We've got a lot to think about. A lot to interact with in the world and in our church and in our lives, but I'm personally grateful today for a country that allows us, for, that allows us to have differences of opinion, even differences of opinion in this room this morning. I'm thankful for a country that allows us as Christians the right to worship like we're doing this morning, to have a voice, to vote, to speak, to act. I'm grateful that we can gather and sing and that we can baptize children, we can hear from God's word. My friends, there's a lot going on in God's word for us today. We continue in this season of light. It's called Epiphany, where the spotlight is shining on Jesus, and we're checking Jesus out. Two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus and the Magi, the Magi following the light, following the star that pointed down to Jesus to worship, and we've learned that Jesus came for all nations, even those pagans, even those Magi, even those people like that. And we saw Jesus, the refugee, travel down to Egypt, escaping a murderous and corrupt government. Last week, uh, Vicar Trevor, the spotlight was pointed on the baptism of Jesus, where he comes and he identifies with us as sinful people, and he steps in line with us, and he says, I am with you, I am Emmanuel. Next week, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5. In fact, we're going to spend four weeks looking at the Sermon of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, there's lots of big stuff, and then we're going to wrap it up with the transfiguration where the spotlight's on Jesus, and he becomes the spotlight. It's going to be awesome. But today, this morning, we're going to talk about the inaugural address. That's right. 
You heard me. We're going to talk about the shortest and most powerful inaugural address ever in the history of humanity. Now, I've heard of plenty of political leaders and speeches speak over the years. And whether they're blue or red, whether it's Trump or Obama, Bush or Clinton, I don't know about you, but have you ever listened to a politician speak and it kind of left you maybe just a little bit wanting? Yeah, ever? Okay, there's, okay. You, there's you and me here, Susan. <laughs> I think you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you hear him speak and, and you think you're a little skeptical. You're a little bit wondering, can you really do all that you're going to say? These messianic overtones that you're producing, they, they ring a little hollow. And we could scour every inaugural address of every president in the history of the United States of America, and we're going to find promises unfulfilled. We're going to find words that sounded a little cheap, and maybe they're just rhetoric meant to elicit immediate response, and there's no follow-through. In 2009, promises were made. We will do this. But... It wasn't completely fulfilled. In 2017, two, two days ago, promises were made. I will never, ever let you down. And I am certain that those promises will not be completely fulfilled. But you see, the spotlight this morning is not on America. The spotlight is on Jesus. That's epiphany. So let's dig into to God's word this morning, Isaiah chapter 9. Let's go back 27, 2800 years ago to these words that were written by Isaiah the prophet. They were words of light and comfort given to the people walking in darkness. Isaiah said, nevertheless, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. That's freedom. A freedom that can only be found in God, in his word, and in his prophetic presence. 800 years later, you fast forward to Matthew chapter 4, our text today, and you see those words written 2,800 years ago come alive, and you see a prophecy fulfilled. Now, you remember, Matthew, where we've been over the last few weeks, Matthew chapter 1, we saw the birth of Jesus. We saw the genealogy. Matthew chapter 2, the Magi come to visit. Uh, Jesus escapes with his family down to Egypt. He comes back. Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist preparing the way. Jesus is baptized. Then you have the temptation of Jesus. We'll address that later on during Lent. And then our text, Jesus begins to preach. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said to the prophet Isaiah. We read it just a moment ago. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Jesus fulfills the prophecy spoken seven, eight hundred years before. And then in verse 17, 
we get Jesus' inaugural address. Nine words long. Words not of empty rhetoric, but words that are powerful and filled with life and drive the trajectory of his entire work. Verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven. Not the kingdom of earth, not the kingdom of men, not the government of the world, but the kingdom of heaven, the presence of God himself has come near and repent. We'll get into that in a moment. It continues on in verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. My friends, Jesus' inaugural address was nine words long, but it was followed immediately by action. Powerful action, words that affect, words that accomplish. Jesus saw, he initiated, he calls his disciples, he sees them and he calls them. I know I've talked about this before, but back in Jesus' day, to follow after a a rabbi, it was kind of like, you know, getting into Harvard, right? You had to get all your stuff together, your resumes, your stuff, send your video in. You got to get all these years of work and you got to earn your way in and you're just hoping they're going to accept you. But with Jesus, it's like Harvard coming to you, but you don't even have a high school diploma. He initiates, he sees, and he calls his disciples. And immediately they follow. And they leave their nets. We all got some sort of net to leave behind. And we see these disciples, they they take the first step. They just take the first step toward God and toward his people, and they didn't know what's going on. They didn't have it all figured out. They didn't see the whole trajectory of what was going to happen. You read the, the Gospels, they were clueless. They took one step in trust and in faith. Verse 23 and 25 continues on. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, they followed him. Jesus is teaching, Jesus is preaching, Jesus is healing. He's given us a foretaste of the last day. We confessed it in the creed in a moment ago. He is going to come again to judge the living and the dead. He's going to undo everything awful that has been done. He's going to eradicate every disease, every sickness, everything wrong when he comes again. He's given us a foretaste. He's given us a vision of what that's going to be like right here in this text when he came. His inaugural address, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, when you hear that word repent, it's kind of a church word. You're like talking about it. It has connotations that are kind of, don't make you feel right. But really, that word repent, it's like taking a turn from unbelief to belief, from doubt to faith, from dependence on ourself to dependence and trust in God. That we trust that his words are not empty rhetoric. That we trust that his words have power. 
My friends, if you've ever doubted that Jesus' words have power, that you could trust him, you should have been there last night at our Celebrate Recovery uh, celebration. It was awesome. It was powerful. I heard four awesome, powerful testimonies last night, all of them filled with trust in God, taking one step at a time, moving forward, individuals' lives being freed and redeemed from a lot of hurts, a lot of habits, a lot of hang-ups. That's what repentance is. It's turning. It's turning from dependence on self to a relationship of trust in God. And that's what Jesus invited his disciples to do. He said, turn and leave your nets. Trust in me. I'm going to use you to do great things. I think a question for us all to ask today is, what is it that we need to leave behind? What sort of net do you need to leave behind so you can follow Jesus one step at a time? It's not in a, you better repent, turn and trust, or you're going to burn sinner type of thing, right? That's not what Jesus is doing. He's not repent. Jesus is coming and he is saying, repent. I'm calling you. And his call is freeing, his call is liberating, his call is life-giving, his call is releasing us from the nets that entrap us. It's trust. It's trusting in him. I've been reading this book lately. Pastor Tim uh, pointed it out to me. It's called uh, Ruthless Trust. Anybody ever heard of this book? Ruthless Trust by, by, by Brennan Manning. Powerful book. And he tells us the story of trust in here, and I love that I've quoted it a number of times recently. And he's telling this story about this guy named John Cavanaugh, who's this brilliant ethicist, and he's struggling with this, this notion here. He's struggling with his life, and he has something that he needs to leave behind. And so Brennan writes this. He says, when the brilliant ethicist John Cavanaugh, he went to work for three months at the House of Dying in Calcutta. He was seeking a clear answer how to best spend the rest of his life. And so on the first morning there in Calcutta, he met Mother Teresa. And she asked him, John, what, what can I do for you? And he said to her, will you pray for me? And She said, what do you want me to pray for? And he said, I've come thousands of miles from the United States. Mother Teresa, pray that I have clarity. She said firmly to him, no, I will not do that. I'm like, hey, man, this is Mother Teresa, right? I thought she was like all loving and smiles and all that stuff all the time, right? Immediately, she says to this guy, no, I'm not going to do that. And when he asked her why, she said this. She said, John, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to. And you must let go of it, John. When Kavanaugh commented that she always seemed to have clarity, she had clarity that he longed for. She laughed at him and said, I have never had clarity, John. What I have always had is trust. And so I will pray that you will trust God. Such powerful words. And then Brennan writes these words here. He says, craving clarity. We attempt to eliminate the risk of trusting God. Fear of the unknown path stretching ahead of us. It destroys Childlike trust that our little Leighton has. Fear of the unknown path stretching ahead destroys childlike trust in the Father's active goodness and his unrestricted love for us. 
Love that story. John, he needed to cast aside this quest for clarity. But all of us, we have some sort of net that we need to cast aside this very moment. That we need to hear the inaugural address of Jesus starting out his ministry where he says, repent. He's giving us permission to turn and leave it away. And he's saying, the kingdom of heaven has drawn near to you. He's saying, trust. I'm with you. I'm the king of all kings. I'm the president of all presidents. Trust me, one step at a time. We hear failed promises of empty rhetoric out in the world. It leaves us skeptical. But Jesus comes to us this morning, the king of all kings, and he delivers a brief and powerful inaugural address. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is drawn near. And our Jesus, our humble king, he sees you, he calls you, and his gaze and his call are so powerful that it can loosen the grip of the nets that are entangling us. And he says, come follow me. I'm going to make you fish for people. Last night I was talking to one of, our, uh, one of the people that attend CR occasionally. And she was talking about how she grew up in the area. And she's probably, I don't know, maybe in her 70s. And she said, uh, Pastor, I grew up in a destructive, I grew up in an abusive family. But one of your members here, 50 years ago, she was my neighbor, and she would, she would take me to church. She would bring me here to St. John's. She would bring me to the sanctuary in Sunday school, and I felt, I felt the presence of God around me in this place. It was a sanctuary. It was a safe place. It was the reign of God, of heaven in my life. She said, when I first started coming here, I didn't know that this was that church, because we were meeting in, over here in Walker Hall, and she said, I walked around the corner one day, and I saw the sanctuary, and I remembered from my childhood this place, and I fell on my knees, and I was crying and thanking God for his work in my life and through your church, and I was like, wow, that's what we're about. That's what St. John's is about. St. John's is about disciples being called by Jesus, and those disciples that have left their nets behind are going after other folks to make them disciples and finding hope in life and restoration and renewal. We see it in our Celebrate Recovery. We see it in our school. For 134 plus years, we've been doing it. We see it this Wednesday when we baptized 20 kids and their families. It's awesome. It's powerful. It's what we're about, and Jesus has invited us into that and he says, leave behind your nets and follow me one step at a time and continue in that journey with me. One step at a time. Jesus' inaugural address. Simple words. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near.